Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Little John and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome to the True Wealth Radio Show. I am your host, Dave Littlejohn, and guess what? Katie's here today. I'm back. Woohoo! It's, it feels like the gang's back in the saddle. I'm um, I'm on a short tether, right? It's like a little boomerang. Like I fly out and it goes, phew, 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 and then I come right back. <laughs> you say this, but I mean, it's what has it been three weeks since you've been here now or something? No, I, I was here two weeks ago. Feels like forever. Uh, has I'm, it been three weeks? David, I was only in Mexico for one. Oh yeah, well, it may feel like three weeks to you, but it, it was does. <laughs> it was only seven you, days. <laughs> so I don't know what it was like for you. So you go to Mexico and it's tropical. So I had a you know I went to Tennessee over the weekend. So I, I had a retreat with a a group of guys. It's it fantastic, by the way. But uh, so you, you know leave Oregon and it's it's Oregon, right? And, and then get to Tennessee and it's nice the first day and then this like the rain just comes in and it gets cold and the temperature drops from like 70s into 50s and then my flights on the way back got all jacked up because there was a snowstorm in Denver so we land in Denver and there's snow everywhere and I'm like okay so winter is here <laughs> and now come back and you know there's it's freezing overnight here. I'm like, what happened? In three days, we just threw a switch. I um, So I will say, I left. I we left last Sunday to go to Portland because we had an early flight on Monday morning down to Cabo San Lucas. So tra- uh, first time traveling international, obviously during COVID, right? Um, and it's interesting. We talk a lot about expectation management. And the hardest part is when it's something new, right? There's, I have my current experience to fall back on, but there's still certain expectations that I didn't, or things that I didn't even think of, right? Right. So, um, so yes, weather-wise, I went from 90 during the day and 80 at night with an 80% humidity in Cabo to getting off the plane on a layover in Seattle and going through customs at 25 degrees. Yikes. So the hardest part was trying to convince my children to put jeans on <laughs> when it's 85 degrees outside and they're hot and want to wear shorts and have been wearing shorts all week, knowing we're going to get off the plane in Seattle and it's not going to be 80. Um, so that was really tricky. But I will say it was very, um, we talk a lot, you know, about mask or no mask, and I'm not going to get into the political argument over that, but um, I was impressed at how clean and sanitized everything was from the airport to the airline. Um, One of the advantages, I guess, of flying right now is um, Alaska specifically said we are going to leave the middle seat open. So the cool thing about flying with children is we got three seats for two of us. So there was lots of room to kind of wiggle around and move around, which was nice. Um, Everybody had to still wear masks. So if you're wondering what Mexico's doing, they're wearing masks too. Um, and everywhere we went, they checked our temperature and gave us a score to hand sanitizer. They kind of said, stay sanitized and keep your mask on unless you're eating. Um, and it, But it was still very clean. I felt very safe. And David's rolling his eyes at me now because now I'm giving my monologue. <laughs> it's like we're... We're getting a lecture on hygiene in Mexico. No, folks. but but <laughs> but here's the funny thing. I posted on Facebook like, plan your next adventure. Don't stop just living life because of COVID. And it was amazing how many people said we didn't know we could do that. Right. Like, we didn't I, know so we I could saw, travel. I saw some of the social media stuff. Um, not very much because I have made this 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 is the theme that I wanted to work from today. I've made an intentional decision. 
to spend less time on social media. And I think that is the magic that I want to talk about. You know, on the True Wealth Show, we cover all kinds of stuff. And Katie, I'm not trying to cut you off from no, this experience. He, he was totally going cross on. He's like, come I on. I was teasing but about I it because she was like, oh, I'm on a roll now. And I'm like, you are? Okay. Where? <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but I had a great time in Mexico. It was great family time. I really appreciated it. And um, it felt like an endless summer. Yeah. Like it, it being down there and it was really hilarious listening to my daughter sing like oh jingle bells in the shower when it's 90 degrees and tropical outside like it felt so disconnected. No, we need to. Well, <laughs> and a one horse I'm... open sleigh dashing through the snow and I'm like what snow? There's sand in 90 degrees. I don't understand what you're talking right, about. Right, right. And and humidity, that's that's not even going to work out. <laughs> that is a melting snowman. Indeed. So Talking today, I, I, the the theme of today's show, doing things with intention, and I want us to think about the one. This has been on my mind because that's what one of the things I just took out of this little retreat, uh, where we were really talking. And we've had so our firm had a retreat recently as well, and we really so Little John Financial month right? of stuff. Oh, it's been jammed full, uh, but for all the right reasons, as we've made these proactive decisions to improve things and essentially to up our game right right so that's you know we upped our game up oh, wait never mind uh so but that also i feel like makes it sound like there's something negative like i it was it was a chance for the company to work on the business and not just be working in the business correct right i think that this is this is uh, it's really important that we all take a moment every now and then to step back and do an assessment and figure out where is it that you are going Right. Uh, we do this in lots of things in life naturally. I mean, if you are, you know, before you get in your car, you know where you're driving. Don't typically. Usually. I, mean, <laughs> I hope so. I mean, there are some people that still just go for a drive just because of the novelty, because they like the, 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 the journey is what they want to do. And they're that there for the journey, anxiety. not the destination. But for the most part, if you want to go somewhere, you plan the destination, you figure out a route, and then you assess. And every now and then, there are detours and there are other things in the way. And so sure. you have to reassess. Well, it's tough to get somewhere if you don't have a destination in mind. And so doing things with intention is really important. This is very relevant in the investment world. Okay. Right? And it's relevant for a number of reasons. Because I believe right now, many people are being tested. Okay. In be, what way? What do you mean? 2020 has been an emotional slugfest. Yeah, right? I, I keep mean, saying all the blessings are covered in mud. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great description. Right? It's like, Say oh, this again. really, all of, the, all of the blessings are covered in mud. It's, um, you know, anytime something great has happened in my life this year or something that I'm grateful for, it's like I got it with a side of poop. Like, it was just like, wow. what? the heck happened it's like oh I had this wonderful thing and there was this little train wreck over here and it's like why can't I just enjoy this wonderful thing without the, the little train wreck can I not have that so I feel like all my blessings are covered in mud that's a it's a funny description uh, but I get it it's funny because right? it's true <laughs> I get it and as we're looking here's why I say this right when you go through an emotional ringer right it stresses folks out it could stress out anybody. If you get through a really heightened and anxiety-ridden environment, it just stresses people out. And that is that sort of danger zone for decision time. And for investors, what we know, all right, research tells us that most investors underperform 
say, an index, right? They did some really long-term studies, like 20-year studies from uh, about two, like 1998 to 2018, Okay. right? So we're talking 20-year study here that the Dalbar Association did, and they found that most investors underperform the uh, major indexes by a fairly meaningful amount, something like two to three percentage points. And if you compound that over time, it's a lot of money. Now, is that investors working on their own as DIYers or investors working with financial advisors or both? So that's kind of the the interesting one. Uh, investors that worked with financial advisors, all things created equal, typically did better. But the question is why? Right? Well, they, they had the stop part, the stop on their like emotional versus logic skills. So like it's, I'm that, not saying that correctly, sorry, but it stopped them from train wrecking when they were emotionally upset about something. In a sense, yes. What it really was, was it doesn't improve the investment selection, right? In fact, uh, many advisors don't, they don't pick better investments than the index, but they do a better job of helping to manage the emotions in the process because they have a little bit of professional detachment. Now, not all advisors do this great, but most of them do uh, just because they encourage folks to stay the course. Right. Okay. Now, this is probably interesting to some of you to hear me say this because if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you know that I'm a believer in tactical investing, which is a little bit more dynamic in nature and involves making decisions to navigate actively through the investment markets. So we're not just a set it and forget it shop at, at our firm. And why is that decision? Well, why, like why? So that that just comes from I've been doing this for nearly 21 years now. And that's crazy, by the way, right? If, if you really crazy math stuff. it out. So but but you know, in the in that in two decades plus of financial industry experience, I've seen the markets have material corrections, if we count this year in COVID now, three times that we've had in excess of 30% pullbacks. And in all of those scenarios, opportunities have presented themselves. And so I like to dampen risk by avoiding sectors that I think are toxic and trying to bias to sectors that are working. And we have a whole methodology that we try to employ to do that. And sometimes we just don't want to own as much risk as the market requires to be invested. And that's a, that's I'm getting into fancy terminology here, but there's a method to our madness. It just says that I don't think set it and forget it is the most risk efficient way to invest, right? Okay. It turns out it's pretty effective if you're willing to just ride through the storm. Then eventually if when the markets recover, you recover with them. Right. And and by and large that plays out. My question is what if you didn't have to ride through the storm to get the same result? If you Or could, what if you didn't have the time? Then that's to ride that's the, the storm. biggie is if if you are in the distribution phase of your retirement and you have a zero or so low interest rate environment as to effectively be zero in fixed income, you're forced into the stock market, but you need to manage risk very actively right. in order to stay retired. Well, that is what we are at least attempting to do at our firm. But again, rabbit holes. That's not what I'm why I'm bringing this whole study up. It comes back to the fact that let's say you stripped away the tactics and all the fancy bells and whistles that I'm talking about and got down to brass tacks, right? Okay. Why do investors underperform the market so much? Well, their emotions get in the way. Right. But they I, freak but out. They that's, freak I mean, out. That's a technical term, right? Because they freak out. What's it look like? Well, and, and how do we avoid it? 
we're gonna talk about that and it starts with this theme of intention, okay? But we gotta take a break, so well, let's do that. Um, and I can't even tell if our headphones are doing the thing again. Is there, is the music playing? I can't hear it. Yeah, we can't. Well, you'll have to tell oh. us. It. No, nope. we're, we're never gonna know. <laughs> I assume by now it probably is, and so, um, yeah, we'll punt and then we'll figure it out from there. But when we come back, uh, we'll have our engineering worked out and we'll have more True Wealth. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Schick. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. This is your host, Dave Littlejohn. And joining <laughs> me today in studio. Is not Xavier. No, it's no, Katie. <laughs> it's Katie Shuck. I actually listened to the True Wealth Radio, part of it at least, the part that I could get yeah. while I was in Mexico. Right on. And I was texting David like, hey, by the way, I'm listening. Cool. So it was kind of fun. And by the way, if you're just joining us, you can check out the podcast. So it'll be posted tomorrow at our website at littlejohnfs.com. And there are boatloads of podcasts. You can go back and listen for years and years and years uh, until you're you know, you don't want to listen anymore. That's for sure. You probably your eyes will roll back in your head or something. Yeah. By the way, you know, when David started, when he uh, initially started monologuing or Kyle was your co-host, I guess, at that point, Little he was kind of in the studio. So done both done both. Uh, I find it more interesting that, you know, Katie, thanks for joining me. It's easier to carry a show <laughs> with two of us. <laughs> You're welcome. I enjoy this every Tuesday. Yeah, it's fun. So let's talk about intention. Kay. right? Uh, if this is the show about, you know, doing things with intention and as investors, we talked about you know the idea that first of all, a lot of people uh, underperform long term because they allow their emotions to get the best of them. That's what research tells us: is that many people they just make counterproductive decisions. They tend to sell out of panic when the markets are low, and then they tend to buy uh, out of elation, if you will, when the markets are high. So you're overconfident at the wrong times, and you're scared at the wrong. Which times. is exactly what people say not to do, right? Isn't mm -hmm. it to uh, buy low and sell high? And people go, "Oh wait, we're going to." sell when it's low and buy when it's high. And I'm like, wait, you just got yep, that backwards. Yep. So it's a tricky thing to navigate. But uh, here's, and we're being tested right now too, because we have, there's just a lot of unknowns. And I got to tell you, I, I can't give you investment advice on air. Okay, nope. if you want investment advice and you want it to say, well, hey, what can, should I do? But that opens a big can of liability. Yeah, totally. Yeah, then it better be 100% <laughs> right if you're going to do that online uh, or that on air advice because, uh, you know, the whole deal is that advice is personal. Your circumstance is not the same as your neighbor's. Right. Okay, so we don't do. We do. We talk about concepts. We talk about ways that you can approach problem solving. We talk about processes and so forth. But but this is not advice for you. But I will tell you that it's kind of this. Actually, what I'm about to share with you is somewhat advice for you. But it's not going to be. It's not go buy something or this advice this necessarily. Is how should you be looking at investing right now? And. I will tell you that one of the big challenges that financial professionals everywhere are facing is a massive amount of uncertainty due to the election. Okay. Well, and it's not just due to the election. It's due to COVID. It's due to everything else, right? Like, I mean, I said months ago that I was like emotionally exhausted. I think just from all of that, like it's, you know, you're constantly inundated on Facebook and the media. It's like the election, the election, the election, what's going to happen. And I feel like there's this just like tidal wave of fear that's being preached and, from every and corner. The fear really is part of the issue. Now, I will tell you, I have a different theory on this whole idea because um, logic is a fairly complex decision matrix, 
right? If if you are calm and assessing your options, you personally going through a logical flow with your decision making will evaluate a lot of different options, weight different outcomes, and then make a decision. Now, you may not consciously be doing all of that, but when you're not freaking out, that's how you work. When you are freaking out, the stress hormones and all that involved all will literally they'll interfere with the logic processor in your brain. It's your fight or flight mechanism. It's that's something that's very old and in our DNA right. from the beginning of right. time. But when you are stressed like that, one thing that's interesting is you become more predictable because you tend to take fewer options. What do you mean? Well, a stressed person tends to, you know, you either run or you fight. You don't assess 37 different variables. So it's always right? A or B. Like go it's, left, go it's, right. It's not binary. No, that's not what I mean. What I mean, though, is that people just... They just make decisions different. And if you're not processing all of the variables, you're processing fewer of the variables. Well, fewer variables means less complex equation. And less outcomes. Right? In theory. And so I I think that there's a certain um, political science element at play here. I've said this on air before. I realize that for many of our listeners, like I'm in the weeds. But what I mean about political science is, you know, why do we end up with a two-party system? Well, because it's pretty darn big, and so there's not very much room for a third party to get in. We Although discuss- we've been kind of approaching that, it seems, more and more each election. I haven't noticed. Oh, okay. I mean, I think that more and more folks would like that choice, and so I think there there could be a potential movement, but it's not in the best interest of the two parties. True. So they, they sort of make it hard. It's going to require a grassroots effort, and right now... The folks that uh, influence media channels, and I'm not talking about the media, but I'm, I'm talking about a lot of large cap tech companies, uh, have demonstrated in many respects that uh, they will populate your specific news feed with things relevant to you, but that they, they may have an interest in the narrative at times. Right, because they are going to be politically regulated. They're going to be regulated as well, and the you know the political regime regulating them has influence. So. None of us is without some consideration in this equation. Uh, but the political science of it's really, how do we get you as a voter to pick an issue that's enough to trip you on one side or the other? They, they, you know, it's like, so if we can scare you, do you vote one way or the other? If we can find that one issue that's really polarizing to you, I, I believe in only this. And if you don't believe this like me, I won't vote for you. Right. That's political science. That's wow. how people sort of calibrate as to the probability of a win or a loss and how politicians develop their positions. Their right? strategy. Yeah, when it's like, well, here's my platform and what I stand for. Now I just need to communicate that. And it's less about whether or not they you like the overall candidate than if they can get enough single-issue voters to, to lean one I way I feel the like other. it's less about the execution and the plan and more about what they say they believe in. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of lip service because what... What what they say happens and what actually happens oftentimes seems don't very align. disconnected. Yeah, yeah. So, so as investors, why do you care? Well, right. And I would say this question has come up quite a bit with us at our office, where people are calling, going, "Hey, you know, do you have an opinion on the election? How do you view the markets are going to?" I do have an opinion the on the election. Not that you're going to voice it. I'm on not going to share it. Yeah, yeah. that's no. How but that I'm goes. saying like we've had we've had clients and prospects and everybody else calling our office going, hey, you know, should we be in the market right now? What do you think the market's going to do if this person wins? What do you think the market's going to do if this person wins? Right. And um, you know what they are? What educated guesses. 
Yeah. That's the best I can offer. I have an educated guess or sort of an instinct or a hunch or whatever. And you know how what I feel about investing on hunches or instinct or your gut? Uh, don't do it. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> okay, I mean, I'll just come right out. I hate it, hate it, hate it because uh, I guess you may as well flip a coin. You're gambling. You're not investing. I don't like gambling. That's not what we're attempting to do. Right. Okay. And anytime somebody says, well, the stock market's just a casino, and I go, it doesn't operate like a casino. The no. odds are different. And, you know, can you lose money? Sure, there's risk associated with it. But there's risk associated with getting in your car and driving. True. Okay? And so do you believe that when you get in the car, you're just, you know, well, this is it. No, if you did, you wouldn't ever do it, right? There is an expectation of a positive outcome. That's right. why you do it. Right. And that's how investing operates, too. You just, the risk is the level of volatility that you expect along the journey. True. Okay. And so as investors, here's the thing. Right now, volatility is increasing. Markets have been going down, right? The last couple of days, they've been going up a bunch, but since COVID, they collapsed. And then we went on a big, long uh, extended gain and we hit some highs in early September and then they promptly retraced, meaning it was pulled back in September. And here we are in October, kind of sideways, dinking around, little up, little down. And you tell me, how many of you folks right now have a bunch of money burning a hole in your pocket and you think, you know what, I have got to get this into the stock market right now with an election next Tuesday. That has not been what I have seen right? come in, into our office. In, in seven <laughs> days, everybody's supposed to vote. And we, uh, most of us think there's going to be a bit of a punt because the likelihood that all the votes get counted by then is really low because there's been you know, it's a COVID year. We've literally set up the, the narrative to suggest we're going to have to wait a few days for all those ballots floating in the mail to find their way in and get counted. And then there's going to be a whole debate on whether or not it's legal or not. And how do we determine whether or not those ballots deserve to be in or not? Were they authentic or not? Like everybody knows that this has been the fight's been the table's been set for it. Right. It's, right. Well, yeah, because of the like the mail-in ballot whole argument, too, which Oregon's been a mail-in ballot state yeah, for not, a long time. I'm not but... particularly worried about Oregon. No, uh, I'm just saying like we've been that way for a yeah, long time. So yeah. to us, we're like, eh, that's how we always do it. But for states who didn't normally operate that right. way, getting that system ironed out. Well, and I don't even know that I'm particularly worried about the integrity of the the voting in in mail-in ballots. I'm a little worried about the speed and folks that aren't as prepared as Oregon. And I'm a little worried about uh, the idea that, hey, if there's a cutoff, but people can kind of fudge when that cutoff is, it's like, well, where does that come from? And how are we going through the validation process? Again, Oregon's had, you know, nearly 20 years to figure this out. Everybody else is getting, you know, a few months. So, right. Well, eh. and there's some states that have, you know, way denser population than Oregon does, too. Right. So anyhow, that's, again, the point is... Doing things I, with intention. I think that the emotion levels are really high, and rightfully so. Uncertainty is really high. Does that mean if you're an investor, you should pull your money out and wait until after the election? That sounds like advice. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I can't tell you yes or no to your personal circumstance, but what I can tell you is if you're making that decision purely on emotion, probably a dumb move. And what I can also tell you is it's entirely probable that if you don't have tax-efficient accounts and you pull a stunt like that, you could create tax damage. Like you could create a tax liability by doing a move like that. So it's not easy to just say, well, sure, you're better off just sitting out. Um, 
No, if you have cash right now, sit on your hands. Wait a week. A week's really and, not going to make and it And that's not that because much. I'm advising you to do that, because I'm saying, look, if you have a compelling reason to invest now, go ahead. Right? If that's your thesis, go ahead. I'm not giving you the advice one way or the other, but I'm saying, do I think a week is going to be the deal breaker over now in the next 20 years? No. I don't. I, I, I don't think that that's going to play out as, boy, if you miss this week, you're going to have 50% lower returns over the next 10 years because you just missed that critical week where all the performance happened. Yeah. And by the way, David won't know that until two weeks from now anyway. <laughs> well, we won't, And we won't know that until 10 years from now. Right. It's, but... I've never seen a scenario on paper or otherwise where that would have been the case. True. Okay. You know, you can cherry pick a few days and affect the returns for a year or even for five or 10 years. Right. And and there's been studies that have done that. But I always remind you, folks say, if you cherry pick the worst days, or rather, if you cherry pick the best days and say you missed the best days, you cut your returns dramatically. But guess what else? They never talk about the flip side. If you miss the worst days, you increase your return dramatically. dramatically. Right. And then- why, when you said like earlier, Katie, you go, hey, why do you like tactical? Because you know what? I did the studies on this stuff years ago. Ah. Like personally did the data mining, went through it, looked at the, the periods of volatility that occur in the marketplace. And here's the really interesting thing I found. If you miss both the best and the worst days in the market. You still up? You were up more. What? Yeah. How is that even possible? Well, you know, we don't have time to really well, unpack it on the show here, but crazy. here's here's essentially the working thesis that I discovered. And again, not advice, but I'll tell you, this is what my research led me to, and I, and I, I really believe in this, was that the biggest up days came in downtrending markets typically, and they came close together. The biggest up days and the biggest down days came, came right like in, in close succession to each other. So it was the periods of heightened volatility that were the danger periods, oh. right? There's periods when markets have relatively low volatility and everybody just kind of gets in the boat and floats downstream and everybody's happy. Right. And then there's periods when the water gets really choppy and it's a lot more dangerous. So tactically, tactically speaking, I like to look for the periods where it is lower, like you know, where you're going downstream instead of fighting through the rapids. That's how I think you manage tactically to, to seek safety as an investor. We have a lot of methodologies for that. It's hard to explain it on the radio because it takes charts and graphs and all kinds of hoopla. And guess what? You don't care. Or right? If you're listening, it. you don't care. Like, if you want to come to the office and see the dog and pony show, we'll do it. It's fun, right? But that's not the point. The point is do it on purpose. Do it with intention. And here's the other one. You know, uh, if you have a destination in mind, then your emotions naturally get to take a back seat, right? Because they're not driving anymore. You are. I chose the destination. If I have a bunch of volatility, I don't, you know, I can override the decision. I mean, have you ever done that before where you're like, you know what? I know better, but I'm going to do it anyway. Well, it's not a no better. Like I'm, I'm, I have, I'm nervous about it, but you do it anyway. Yes. Right. That's the thing. It's like my nerves tell me one thing. But my training, my discipline tells me something else. That's doing it with intention, that discipline component. So, all right, enough preachy. Let's take a break. <laughs> and when we come back, let's cover some fun stuff. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, 
maybe some of the, the indications that maybe there's hope on the horizon for Ooh, investors. How I would like you like that. to hear about that? Uh, so ask me about the put-call ratio and more when we come back. Put this call. is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. Yeah, True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Show. And we are covering good stuff today. And you know what? We've we've already gone through. I I feel like every show now, I'm kind of looking forward to next week where we can say, hey, you know what? We're sort of done with the uh, whole election cycle. But we won't be of. next week. Well, it'll be that day. So I'm looking forward to, well, next no. Tuesday is, yeah, it's election Tuesday next Tuesday. Oh, you're right. It is. Okay. Sorry. I think I'm right. I I've been I've been kind of tracking it. Like my, we got to get this over with. My brain has not gone past Halloween on Saturday. I have like not looked at November. Fair enough. At all. Fair I'm, enough. Yeah. This is like nope. I don't blame you, but uh, at the same time, I'm looking forward to getting past the election because I have some funny working theories. Uh, again, not advice today, but I have. Here's my working theory. Right. Uh, there's. Very few scenarios where the stock market doesn't just breathe a sigh of relief that we're over this thing and start to move higher again. Okay. And this is the interesting one. I hear lots of people that have said, well, you know, if I'm just going to use the candidates right out because uh, this isn't about politics per se, it's just about um, strategy, right? Well, if, if Trump gets back in office, then, um, you know, the markets are going to collapse because there's not going to be any more stimulus. And I think. What? Probably not, because the trend is going to be toward, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have a vaccine in the not terribly distant future and we'll start to reopen things. And so the economy will start to move again. And that should be, you know, that should be fine because business tax policy likely stays lower, which tends to be beneficial to business. Right. right? And so that's how the price of the market gets handled and so forth. So it probably tends to be stabilizing for the stock market. Okay, but then the flip side of it. No, no. You know what? If if Biden gets in, uh, is it? It's terrible for the market. So, well, why? Because tax policy changes. Well, okay, except the probability of a larger stimulus package for round two coming through, in theory, goes up. That's how the market's viewing this thing. So, stimulus means more government spending. And more spending means more business profits. And so even though it's borrowed money, and we can talk all day long about right, it's that's kicking the can down the road. But short term, it's lighter fluid. Oh, well, okay. there you go. Short term, it's lighter fluid. So it sounds like fluid. it doesn't matter who gets in, that the market should kind that's, of go forward and move up. That's kind of the kooky thing. So what's the one situation is if everything is, uh, if it's a giant blue wave, then that's probably initially good but long term slows the rate of growth because you're looking at probably um, higher taxes in general for businesses and a restructuring and, and just anytime you go through tax restructuring there's going to be some altering to the economy it tends to be if you lower taxes at least in the short term there's a spike because people have more discretionary income okay but if the trend goes the opposite then you would expect that to reduce demand Right, so if people have less discretionary income, less demand, lower prices, right? Because supply and demand are interrelated. What? <laughs> but here's the one that would be an interesting mix, right? Uh, what if nobody wins? Well, Biden. <laughs> yeah, right. You're just kidding. <laughs> Biden wins, but the uh, the Senate 
stays primarily Republican. Gridlock. Markets kind of love gridlock. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds funny, right? But that's actually been historically a pretty good cocktail for the markets. In fact, historically, I think the research shows that um, Democratic presidents with gridlock tend to have good market performance. Oh, right? really? I mean, like, that was kind of the Bill Clinton story, right? Uh, Bill true. Clinton oftentimes, you know, it was, a, a, I think... I, I, I check my history on this, but I think that was the Newt Gingrich Speaker of the House, that and, and so right. it was. I think the House and Senate were Republican, but Bill Clinton was a Democrat, and I think that's when the budget was actually balanced. Was under that administration, like they worked it out, um, and so you know both teams try to Clinton credit. I just look at it and say, no, you know what? When you've got branches of government that have to compromise, then America has a a better probability of winning. Right. We have a better fighting chance. Yeah. And so I'm not, that's why I'm not going to take a hard line one way or the other. I have my opinions, but I'm not, it doesn't matter what my opinion is. Let's see what the market's given well, us. Well, this right? is a democracy, not a dictatorship. Right. And so, I mean, we always talk about which president, yeah. which I understand, but like there's other houses that have to all get along to get along. Is so. it terrible? I never thought about this before, but at first I thought you were going to say it was a Dave Tatorship. And I was like, Dave, I you're not a dictator. That's like, <laughs> I don't know if that'd work or not, but I might try it. Uh, <laughs> So All no dictatorships. Right. No okay. dictator. Uh, Dave is very democratic. It, it also sounds like. Um, well, I shouldn't say democratic, but democracy. Like yeah, there's I'm, a democracy I'm, I'm in a our office. I'm a big fan of democracy. I'm I'm relatively libertarian. You know, I'm kind of like fiscally a true conservative and a small government guy, but socially I'm like it's kind of none of my business, right? Like I don't think the government needs to spend on it, but I also don't think I need to tell you what to do. Like you're free country, you go do what you need to do. If you're not hurting other people, that's kind of the, the way it works. And so I like smaller government in general. But right. yeah, but Dave Tater chips. It also sounds like like uh, if you were to fish and chips restaurant, like that you could order like that. A, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, you could get the Dave Tater chip. You know, I was like, is that like fish and chips or is it like a, how's that work? You know, it's a so, fish chicken combo with potatoes, chips, and fries. <laughs> so yeah, yes, the show has deteriorated to this oh, level. Okay, it always does. <laughs> Let's just be honest. So why am I optimistic? Let me tell you that if we look at the markets, there's a couple things that are interesting. One of them that we track as a regular signal uh, in our investment committees is something called the put-call ratio. And this one's fascinating to me. There's no guarantee of outcome on this one, but it's an interesting indicator. So do you know what puts and calls are? Are. Yes, and I had to think about the amount of numbers like in the letters to because they're like right, rever- I do this. It's the same because they're trick. reversed, right? Because like a right. put is a sell and Correct. a call is a buy. Correct. So I always have to like reverse. Like the one that's three letters is actually a four letter word. <laughs> yes, and think I like to use the example with something more tangible. Stocks is a little tricky, but it works really well if you think about a house. Okay. Okay. So. Um, puts and calls are options. And if you have an option, it's like, hey, if you and your neighbor make a deal and the neighbor says, look, I'm thinking about selling my house, and you go, you know, I'd kind of like to buy your house. Farming. Farming is a great example. Like crops, yeah, but, future but crops. No, that's hard. Not That's not what I'm talking about. No, okay. Yeah, no, that's Never mind, that's just a, kidding. Wrong conversation. That, yeah, that, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Oops. Still like you, Katie. <laughs> that's futures, not options. Option is the neighbor wants to sell. Wants Can you to tell sell I don't house. do trading? <laughs> Not <laughs> and, in charge of it. And I'm the I'm the neighbor, right? And I, or so I my neighbor wants to sell his house, and I go, hey, um, how, when do you want to sell it? And I go, ah, you know, probably next Five year. Years. Okay. You know, and so I go, tell you what, well, how much are you going to sell it for? You know, this much. And I say, hey, I'll make you a deal. Uh, I'll give you, 
you know, some money right now, if you guarantee me the right to buy that house at this price up until that day or at that day, really, it's right. like on, on this day when you're ready to sell in a year. So it's an option for me to guarantee that I can purchase that house for that price. That would be a call option on the house. The stated period of time is until the date, right? And then after that date, the my call option would expire. So if the price of the house were to drop and the neighbors couldn't sell it for as much as I was had my guarantee price for, okay. I kind of lose, right? Because I should just go and pay whatever the current value is, not this higher value that I locked in with my call option. Right. So David pays a $5,000 deposit to buy the house at three hundred grand. Next sure. Time. I mean, give like let's give people numbers because well, I, I, you're talking tangibles. I don't know. Like, I only have like you know one minute until we get right, this go. done, so I'm keeping it this high level, right? If if I if the my guarantee to buy it is higher than the price of the actual market, why would I use that contract? I'll just buy it cheaper on the market. Right. But if the price were to skyrocket because they found oil in the backyard or now something the house crazy, is worth 500 grand, right? right? Or at this point, it'd be like rare earth minerals because oil's out of fog, right? But so if if you for gold in the backyard, we found a gold mine in the backyard. Okay, all of a sudden that house is super valuable. And I have a guaranteed price that I can say, well, you told me you were going to sell it to me. Now you have to. Okay? Can you force their hand? Yes. That's how options work. Okay, like It is a guarantee that if I exercise the option, I get it. We could have done the same thing in reverse. I could have The neighbor could have guaranteed an option to sell it to me, and he could have done a put option. So that's the, the ability to sell and force somebody to buy it from you for a price. So if, if it turns out that I had a put option and then there was a meth lab in there and it was useless <laughs> and worthless, uh, I still have to pay the price that was agreed to if the, the put is exercised. So it's the, it's whether or not somebody really wants to buy or really wants to sell, okay? And you can lock in your prices for a period of time. So this, why does this matter? That's right? a great question. Why, why does, does it, matter? it matter? So I'm going to tell you after the last segment here, we got to take our last break though. So we'll do that. And when we come back, why do we care about the put call ratio? Because the market's telling us something interesting. And I'll explain why when we come back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey gang, welcome back to the home stretch of the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with Katie Shuck. I know it's a weird intro, isn't it? I'm like, where's my cliffhanger? Uh, right I there. I just meant like for me to jump in. Close so. enough. Okay, uh, so we're talking about puts and calls and yep. the put call ratio. Put call ratio. If you're wondering where we're at, check out the podcast. It's going to be on littlejohnfs.com. All kinds of good stuff. So if you go to the website, you want to click under the. Uh, there's a tab that's got an uh, educate tab, right? So it's going to drop down and click on the educate and it's going to have all of our podcasts and a bunch of other stuff, your YouTube videos, all that hoopla, right? So the put call ratio. Is right? that something that people can Google? They could. Yeah, you can go check it out. There's actually available. Uh, you, you know, some folks try to they want to watch it on like a real time basis. Uh, I happen to have pulled this up online. It's a free resource at ycharts.com. Oh, there you go. And you can check it out. But um, basically the put call ratio is 
is the number of people buying puts versus the number of people buying calls. Remember, remember puts are sells. Puts are sells. So if somebody's buying puts, they expect the market to drop. If somebody is buying calls, they expect the market to rise. Ooh. So which one's higher right now? Well, so it's a ratio, right? So it's puts divided by calls. And the lower the number, it tends to be the more bullish an indicator. Okay, okay. So when the put ratio spikes, right, if, if puts go get really big, lots of people buying puts and not very many people buying calls. So lots of puts divided by a little bit of calls, big number. Little bit of puts divided by a lot of calls, small number. Okay. Okay. And so when the number gets small, it tends to be bullish. And Which means go up, enough, like they think it's yeah. going to go up. And so it seems to be positioned. It's, it's actually dropping right now. So the number's dropping. The number's dropping. And, and so some of the activity that we've seen in the options market and the futures market, and this is no guarantee. Again, I'm not giving you advice or anything else. I'm just telling you indicators that we're watching are fascinating. We saw a couple of things change. One, we saw the utility index start to get some traction. What's the utility index? Utility index. I mean, so utilities. Those have been oh, okay. they're usually a safe haven play. Um, so power, gas. Power and gas and so forth, and they had been really beat up because presumably, um, you know, folks weren't paying their utility bills. Right. And if they're getting paid now, and folks aren't getting evicted, then that's a good sign for stabilization of real estate and the utility markets. So fair enough. Uh, so we've been watching the pricing activity of those indexes, which had been major underperformers. We've been looking at the small cap index, so the Russell 2000, and specifically the Russell 2000 value, but the Russell 2000 is the small and medium-sized companies. That had been significantly underperforming the Russell 1000, which is the large companies. Okay. And recently, there has been some positive trend in those small and mid-cap stocks. And then we've seen this put-call ratio declining. All of those tend to be signs that the market is positioning as risk-on. Oh, nice. Remember, in this case, risk-on means uh, the expectation is that risk is both downside or upside. You don't take on risk unless you expect return. So it's expecting that the markets will go up after the election. Well, it's or it's kind it's, of anticipating. It's giving some indication that that's a possible outcome, right? It's, it doesn't guarantee this. We've seen t periods where they people just got it wrong, and then the markets go down. So I don't want you to run out and like pile into the markets because of these indicators. Because these are also indicators that are slow to evolve, so they're what we would call trailing indicators. Okay. Right? By the time these indicators are showing data, the damage is kind of already happening. Yeah, the path has already been cut by the tornado. Right? The stock market is a leading indicator for the economy, but uh, the, you know, the some of these ratios I'm sharing are trailing indicators for the stock market. That's sort of the concept, right? So, anyhow, there are some interesting data points that suggest that we don't have a massive downside embedded in this. No guarantees. you know. And I do a lot of quantitative analysis. We're at a very interesting point price-wise in the market where there doesn't appear right now to be a significant downdraft or significant headwinds. Again, I reserve the right to be wrong on this show. Okay. I, I tell you, <laughs> it that. is I'm his not, show. He I, reserves I, the right. <laughs> I'm allowed to be wrong. I mean, I'm trying to be wrong. I'm don't don't get me wrong on that one either. I said wrong too many times. You, that was a lot of wrong, wrong to get a wrong. Exactly. So we'll just, uh, you know, try not to do that again. Let's let's stick with being right. <laughs> I like so, being right too. 
So that's the, the, the anyhow, you get the sense of what's going on is there are lots of indicators here that maybe it's not as dire as people believe. And so try not to allow your emotions to get the best of you. Invest with intention. Uh, stick to a process and allow that process to inform your decision so that your emotions aren't wagging the dog because we know historically your emotion tends to be your enemy. Right. You know, and, and here's the other thing. A lot of people, they'll just get dumb lucky and then they'll take credit for it when they don't deserve it. And it's like, oh, you know, I just totally did this thing and it worked out great. Well, I'm glad it worked out great. Can you reproduce it? And then they try and they usually don't. Right. And that's the issue too. So we like to invest with a plan and invest with intention. Uh, and I would encourage you out there listening that uh, don't don't let your emotions wag the dog. Get a plan. And if you, you know, mo many of you out there, you've already got a good strategy that's functioning. Great. Uh, many of you out there are working with other professionals. and You've got a great relationship. Fantastic. Great. Okay. And then there are those of you out there that are trying to figure out, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? Give and, us a call. Right. And this is that <laughs> this is this is as close as a sales pitch as you get. Remember, our philosophy is really simple. Uh, if you know, find somebody that you like, trust and can work with and that you'll that will help you to get it done because uh, there's only three things you can do when it comes to you know risk management and investment management right you can manage it you can transfer it or you can ignore it and ignoring is a bad idea it doesn't go away uh, transferring or getting help right so you can you can do it yourself you can outsource it or you can ignore it which is basically doing it yourself badly that's what it comes down to <laughs> So don't go down that path. Katie, how can they reach us if they want to get some help? Free consult for us to help. How do they How do they find us? You can always uh, call us, 541-375-0898, and you can book an appointment online at littlejohnfs.com. All right, gang. So there you go. You can check out the podcast later. You can book online appointments. Our phone number's there, too, so you don't have to remember it. Just remember littlejohnfs.com. Until next time, we got to run. I hear the music. So, uh... Thanks for tuning in. This has been David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. See you guys. The preceding program was paid for by Littlejohn Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.